You've tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch. For the geeks and all the geeks to come. Welcome to another shift on the Geek's Watch. I know what you're saying to yourself. You listen to this podcast. You're like, you guys talk about Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is over. What are you going to be doing now? Well, guess what? We're still here. We're still we're still talking about geeky things. John and I are bringing you the geek news of the week, and then we're going to talk about a movie. That's right. We're doing a movie podcast. What do you think about that? What do you think about that? We're doing. We're going to be talking about the new Stephen King's It. Uh, released in theaters this past weekend, and we will have to uh, go over that. But first, we're going to talk about a little bit of geek news. John, what's the first story you want to talk about? Well, as seems to be the case for Star Wars movies, uh, nowadays they lost a director, and then they gained a director. It is interesting. They they lost a director and, and almost instantly picked up another director. Like, <laughs> like what happened with uh, the Han Solo movie. Uh, we we lost uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord, and very the very next day Ron Howard was signed on. This time, Colin Trevorrow or Trevorrow, uh, you know, more famous now because of directing Jurassic World, Jurassic World, and Safety Not Guaranteed, uh, left the project. And almost the very next day, it was announced that, uh, and it's not the very next day. It was, they had about it was a couple they of had, days. They had a couple of days, a few days in between. J.J. Abrams is coming back to direct the third movie, which I'm okay with. Which is uh, was a safe choice, I think. Yeah, it's definitely the safe choice. Um, I mean, obviously, he already had a big success with with Force Awakens episode seven. So, uh, and I, I remember a lot of people after F- episode seven came out being like, "Well, why aren't you just bringing him back to do episode nine? Like, you know, because they hadn't. I don't believe they had announced Colin Trevorrow yet or Trevorrow. I thought they had a pretty close uh, plan early on. I think by the time Force Awakens was in production, we already knew who the next two directors were going to be. Because okay. uh, remember, Josh Trank, I believe, was in line to direct Episode Nine first. Was he? I believe so. And then the whole. I thought uh, he had. I thought he had a. I thought he had the Han Solo movie. And then they then he got taken out, and then they put in the the Phil Lord and or yeah Chris Miller and Phil Lord. Perhaps. I was pretty sure that it was on uh, episode 9, though. Okay. Uh, you may be right, but either way, yeah, the Star Wars seems to be losing directors and gaining new ones. That well, I think what it is like... is that a lot of people, I mean, I, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but, you know, the movie is is done by committee. It's Kathleen Kennedy is very much in charge of what is put into these star wars movies yes you get these directors and they're going to put their own spin on it or they're going to put their own uh take of the story but 
they have to follow very closely to uh, the Star Wars show Bible, for lack of a better word. Um, that's definitely what happened with uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord. They wanted to make more of a comedy and, uh, you know, be a little bit more spontaneous with their lines and stuff. But uh, that's not they weren't having that. They were like, when we're going to make this movie, it's going to make it's going to flow this certain way and it's going to sound this way because this is how Star Wars movies are made. Yeah, and besides, we've already had a couple of Star Wars comedy films. They were called The Battle for Endor and Caravan of Courage with oh. the Ewoks. <laughs> what about uh, uh, Life Day Celebration? Uh, that one actually is not can. Well, actually, that's a good question. That wasn't theatrically released, though. I think the Ewok movies were. No, the in animated some Ewoks movies? No, not the animated. These are oh. live action. Oh, and then I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, with the. Uh, with the with Wiki family, I think, or maybe I'm thinking Transformers. But Wicked yeah. family? It wasn't Wicked. It no. was something like that, though. Oh. It's like a little girl with a blonde little fro. I, I, I don't I, I don't know Star Wars, so <laughs> I'll, I'll take your word for it. Anyways, uh, along with the new director, um, they also gave us a new uh, release date, um, moving it from May all the way to December twenty two thousand nineteen, which is fine with me. I mean, we've had the last two well the last one and the, now the current one that's about to come out have all been december releases no well force awakens was a december release and rogue one was a for, uh december release uh this one is yeah the last jedi the last jedi is a december release i believe so okay well, but then han facts. solo is coming out may 2018 and then uh uh, whatever episode nine is going to be called is supposed to come out May 2019, but then they moved it to December 2019. Well, as long as the main trilogy movies come out at the same time, who cares? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I think it's a smart move to just have yeah. them all come out December 2019 yeah. or to December, whatever, whatever year this was to come out. I don't know why. You don't the want Han to watch Solo. a Star Wars movie one time feeling cold and then the next time feeling hot. That just feels <laughs> weird. Messes with your memory. Well, I guess Rogue One was originally supposed to be uh, May also, but they moved it back to December. So I, th- I think we we might end up having the same. Eh, maybe not. I don't know. The same thing will happen with Han Solo. We'll see. And <laughs> we'll see if Ron Howard's involvement, you know, makes makes it better than what Phil and... Well, they had to do a lot of reshoots from what it sounds like, like more than the normal research reshoots. Enough to take uh, the original people's names off, I think. Don't they have to reshoot like a yeah, certain percentage? They do because one of the actors, or a couple of the actors, I believe, uh, couldn't make it back for the reshoots, so they had to X their characters from the sh- from the movie. Yeah, that's kind of messed or up. Or replace man. them. Yeah. Imagine you think you got a really awesome role in a film, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh nope, you're not in it anymore. Yeah. Um, I'm 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 feel bad that I don't remember his name, but the actor who played Omar in The Wire. He was. He has a character that no longer is in the movie. I'm not familiar with The Wire. Yeah, it's okay. It's not that great of a show. <laughs> really? People yeah. seem to talk it up. Oh, everybody bit. loves the show. I I watched it and I was like, this. I don't understand. I don't. I really don't understand why there's so much love for that show. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's things like that for everything. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, anything else you want to say about Star Wars? Uh, Force Friday was a week or so ago, releasing all the new toys, and. Uh, yeah, so far I'm not impressed. Really? Yeah. That's yeah. unfortunate. It's. <laughs> I think it has to do with the fact that I'm not collecting anymore, and that's probably for the better because... It probably helps out the wallet. After a while, yeah, <laughs> plus I don't have anywhere to put it anymore, so... 
And I was like, okay, good. Thanks to Star Wars for making stuff I don't want to buy anymore. So <laughs> I feel tempted. Uh, okay. Uh, back on Wednesday, they released uh, the first picture of uh, David Harbour as Hellboy. What would you think of that? Prosthetic body and face. I was going to say that's not really his torso. No. <laughs> But it wasn't really Ron Perlman's either. That's true. I don't know. The Ron Perlman, you can kind of buy it that that's him. I just feel like he's just built like a brick shithouse. <laughs> yeah, but he's also old. Yeah. Hey, hey, there's nothing wrong with being experienced. <laughs> oh, okay. As I learned today. <laughs> Look, uh, I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I just think it's funny that it, the face looks almost similar to the Ron Perlman Hellboy face. Actually, I thought that too. Like he looks, he definitely has the vibe of like a younger Hellboy. Okay. But it looks like they just took the mask they used for Ron Perlman and just put it on David Harper. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you can't even tell it's him really. No, I mean, not really. Like, just, like I could see Ron Perlman's face in the old Hellboy. Like yeah. now I, I don't even see David Harper's face. And then Which might be good. Sometimes when I used to see the old Hellboy, I would also see Vincent's face from the Beauty and the Beast TV show. <laughs> yes, yes, that's true. Uh, also, coming off of Hellboy, uh, a few weeks ago, Ed Skrin, Skrin uh, one-time Dario on, da- on Game of Thrones. The first Dario, yeah. The first Dario. Uh, he was originally cast as a character named uh, Major... Something Daimo, Diamo, Ben Diamio. And uh, when he came to realize that that character was Japanese. So he was like, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm not okay with the, the whitewashing of this character. So I'm going to back out. Uh, now, was it really his choice or was there some kind of fan backlash first? Because it, I heard about the backlash first and then him bowing out. I see, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't follow the story close enough, but uh, it did happen one way or the other. Um, and if it happened the way that you described, that's fair too. I mean, he still didn't go along with it. Um, yeah, and that's fair. I mean, if a character's a certain uh, ethnicity, or and that's integral to the character, you should probably be played by that type of person. You know? And then uh, basically. Uh, couple days or i want to say tuesday uh it was announced that daniel day kim of lost in hawaii 50 will be playing the character of major ben diamio isn't he korean though he is korean so yeah close enough (laughs) well i mean how is that is it how are they gonna feel about that i mean and by they i mean the people that were already upset about the whitewashing like i understand korean's not white but are you, I mean, is it okay that you're just substituting one Asian with another Asian culture? Well, for that, I would defer to you. And I mean, what would you think about? That? Okay, I already, I've already gone on record. I've, I've said you get whoever's the best person to play the role, no matter what their nationality is. Now, is it essential for the character to be of Japanese descent? I don't know. I don't read Hellboy. Uh, so that's, that's where it goes. That, that, if it's essential for the character to be of a certain color, of a certain nationality, of a certain ethnicity, then you need to get that. If it's not, then get whoever's the best. As long as it's not a Laotian. Why? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, fair enough. I mean, it was that a little bit of King of the Hill. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Con. <laughs> uh, okay, fair enough. Uh, hey, I liked it, Daniel DeKim. I loved him in Lost. Um, I watched the first couple seasons of Hawaii Five-0, mainly because he was in it. Uh, now, was he one of the uh, Asian actors that quit? Yes. After the whole... Yes. Oh, wow. He quit this season because uh, he felt that uh, the white characters were getting more storylines and better pay when he feels that he was just as much a part of that show as anybody else which i can't i can't fault him for that and i've never seen it so i can't say well he's only on screen like 43 percent of the time compared to his co-stars so no i would say they i mean from the what i watched not like i said only the first couple of seasons uh he was on the show just as much as anybody else so mm. uh it is a it is a crime procedural though, so it's not much of uh, um, in the way of storyline. Now, I thought what an interesting story that came out this past week was a story about the unused, and this could be a rumor, but the unused uh, Ben Affleck Terry Cheerio, or is that how you say it? Chris Terrio? Sorry. Chris Terrio script for the Batman. Uh, apparently, Umberto Gonzalez of the Rap has it on good authority that uh, that script was going to be heavily inspired by uh, David Fincher's um, the game. The game. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From 1997, um, one of my favorite movies. But I also love David Fincher. You know that parts of that were shot in Mexicali. I did not know that. Oh, when, oh. He, when he looks like he's in that foreign country, that's just across well, the border. Yeah, here. it's Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that makes sense. That, that makes complete sense. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, I would love to have seen that movie, whatever that movie is. Because, uh, you know, there was a lot of talk about at the time when Ben Affleck was still supposed to be directing the Batman, um, that it was going to be heavily detective uh, version of Batman, which we really haven't seen in movies yet. So, well, he was very detectivey when he was solving the Riddler's riddles in uh, Batman Forever. Forever, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, yeah, yeah, Batman Forever. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's I'm the totally being flippant on that. No, yeah, you're right. We haven't really seen a lot of detectiveing. I mean, we got a little dose of it with him trying to crack Luther's encryption and files and yeah, stuff yeah even even then but yeah that was i, I mean, think the clo- in the more recent you I think the closest would probably be when he's trying to figure out all the stuff having to do with who the joker is going to attack and stuff like that in dark knight like when he's using the bur- ballistics to to put the bullet back together that's true yeah he was doing some like mythbuster stuff right there and that's pretty cool yeah, so. i mean that's that's probably the closest i think we're gonna get or, yeah. yeah. So then I guess that begs the question, if they threw that out, what would they be replacing it with? Uh, it's a good question. Um, you definitely have to wonder. I mean, it's all going to be dictated on who his villain is, right? I suppose so, yeah. I mean, and if also it's, if it's going to, as they're saying before, it was going to be a standalone movie. Is this now going to be much more integrated with the expanded universe? No. That's one thing Matt Reeves has said. He said that this is going to be its own, like, standalone feel movie like it will be part of the dceu but it will definitely not have the hey this will lead into what's going to happen with dark side kind of thing 
So uh, that's, I mean, at least that's what he said. But then there's also a Joker movie and a Joker Harley movie and uh, Harley Gotham City Sirens movie, you know, <laughs> Bat or Nightwing, Batgirl, all these other movies are going to be coming out. So I don't know. <laughs> you know, I really wish we could get a a, a live action version of uh, what was it, Heart of Ice. Oh, the Mr. Freeze one? Yeah. The, the Mr. Freeze the animated mis- movie? The Mr. Freeze origin story from Batman the Animated Series was so good <laughs> as just a standalone episode. If we could have gotten a whole live action of that, and if they got somebody good to play Mr. Freeze, like who did I say? Uh, the guy that plays Moloch in Watchmen. Oh, yeah. Could have been a really good Mr. Freeze. I still want Tom, I still want Tom Hanks. I like Tom Hanks as Mr. Tom Freeze. Tom Hanks would be an inspired choice as well. Yeah, you get somebody who, you know... Isn't normally a bad guy, right? Like like uh, Robin Williams's turn in uh, One Hour Photo, for instance, oh, yeah. like that kind of thing where it subverts the expectation, you know, of the comedian or the funny man. We haven't really seen Tom Hanks as a bad guy, have we? Except for maybe parts of Cloud Atlas. Parts of Cloud Atlas. Parts. I mean, he's he's a hitman in Road to Perdition. But he's but he's the protagonist, though. You're he, rooting for him. He, you are rooting for him, but he's still a bad guy. In the Lady Killers, he's kind of a grifter yeah he's a grifter in that um yeah i can't really think of anything where he's the antagonist yeah so uh i i mean i think i would have liked to have seen what that movie would have had to to bring hopefully that some of it will reach over into matt reeves movie uh like i said it depends on who the villain's gonna be who um you know at one point it was supposed to be a lot of deathstroke was supposed to be in the batman or at least that was the rumor now apparently deathstroke's all up in the air whether or not joe magnillo doesn't even know or apparently joe magnillo does know but he's not letting anybody else know yeah he's keeping that pretty closed off and look if he if he can't be deathstroke that just leaves him open to being captain marvel for me or shazam that's so. true and no matter what happens he's still married to sofia vergara <laughs> so he's wins so he no comes out what. on top anyway yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Sticking with the DCEU, we have a new director for Suicide Squad 2, which isn't even supposed to come out until, I think, 2020, if I remember correctly. Uh, It's a while away, yeah. It is a while away. Um, But Gavin O'Connor has been signed on to uh, direct the movie. Now, he most recently directed The Accountant. Um, He also did Miracle, Pride and Glory. Uh, and Warrior, one of my favorite movies. Um, so, if he can bring in what he did with Warrior and make me feel for those characters, I think that would be great for Suicide Squad 2 since I, we already know I didn't like that movie all that much. Yeah. I mean, you can keep the same director of photography and make it look all day glow neon and all that stuff for some of the wackier stuff, but definitely make us care about what's happening because otherwise you just have a big old convoluted mess you know and one of the one of the things i think is the saddest thing is that um i i really enjoy david ayer as well i think he's a great director i love all of his movies other than suicide squad so it really makes me think of what does that mean like even if they get a director that i really care about and really enjoy is it still going to be all chopped up and crappy because Warner Brothers got their hand on it and said, "Hey, we're going to use this uh, this company that makes trailers to make to edit your movie because people really like trailers." Yeah, and there's some really awesome videos on YouTube that break down just how much of a mess it was when it comes to editing and pacing. Yeah, I was like, this is why you shouldn't have a trailer house who just, you know, is trying to 
sell it like a music video to do your whole movie for <laughs> yeah. the editing. Yeah. Exactly. So hopefully they learn from their mistakes. However, I mean, do they they do they even look at view it as a mistake because it was such a high grossing movie? Who knows? Uh, hopefully, hopefully we get something good. Uh, okay, going over to the Fox X Men universe. Drew Goddard is hired to direct and write the X Force movie. Yeah, apparently it's going to be featuring a lot of Cable and Deadpool. Yeah, it's supposed to be led. The it's going to be led by uh, Deadpool, um, which is not surprising since they want to capitalize on how popular Deadpool is and how popular the movie was. Now I'm a little rusty on my X Force. So besides them two, and I guess Domino, who would be the remainder of the? I mean, team. Uh, it, it, the the team has gone through a lot of iterations throughout the comic book history. Um, I think right now on the team you have like currently uh, I want to say Warpath is on the team. Okay. Um, uh, 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 Sabretooth is on the team. Oh really? Yeah. A little Creed, huh? Uh, yeah, a little bit of Creed, and um, I I don't know I don't know if if uh, Hepita is on the team or not. She was when when I was reading it. Um, which also had Phantom X on the team, so who knows? It it, it could. It, I think I, I I'm sure that at one time Bishop was on the team. I think. Um, I think Longshot was in there. Longshot might have been in there. That makes sense. Uh, Psylocke was on the team. I think yeah. she's on the team currently also too, or no, she's on the Uncanny book or the Astonishing book. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh. Just to plan on there being a lot of gunfights, a lot of blood, a lot of boom boom. <laughs> Does that mean it's going to be rated R? I I can't see them not doing rated R now. Like I I just feel like after Deadpool and Logan doing so well, they're just gonna be like fuck it, let's just do rated <laughs> R X Men movies from now on. All of them, yeah. Throw in a little gratuitous nudity while they're at it. Sure. They they meet up at a strip club. Shay, there you go. It worked in Deadpool. It worked in Deadpool. I'm pretty sure there's some stripper mutants too, right? Maybe they used their powers of uh, seducing men to give them more tips or something. Well, I think I think Stacy X was a uh, some type of sex worker of some sort. Well, if you have X in your name already, then you're destined to do some kind of sexual <laughs> job, I'm sure, porn or otherwise. Uh, porn or otherwise. It was like you're doomed from the start. So, interesting thing about Drew, Drew Goddard. You know, he was uh, he wrote uh, The Martian. And he was the book or the screenplay. The screenplay. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was. Oh, yeah, it was Andy Weir did the book, right. right? Yeah. He was the one that was going to be the showrunner on Daredevil. I think he helped create the the TV series, uh, but then he stepped out because he was going to direct the Sinister Six movie, which was supposed to be a spinoff from the Amazing Spider-Man movies. But when the Amazing Spider-Man flopped and Amazing Spider-Man Two flopped. That that whole extended universe just went down the drain with it. So now we have the Spider Man's in the MCU, and then there we're gonna get the whole new uh, Spider Man universe, Sony universe that doesn't involve Drew Goddard. Interesting. Yeah, uh, I enjoy him because uh, one of the first things I know he did was uh, he co-wrote and then directed Cabin in the Woods, which is one of my favorite horror movies of all time 
if that's what you want to call it. Yeah, um, subversive trope meta movie. Yeah. Yes, I love that subversive trope meta movie. It's exactly what it is. Uh, so I was um, greatly impressed with that, and I, I remember watched I watched it I think three times in the theater, and then you know wow. as soon as it, as soon as it came out on Blu-ray, bought that. So really enjoyed that movie. Yeah, that's a movie that is worth the rewatch and so full of potentials. I think we talked about it on our very first podcast together. Did we? I think so. That makes sense. Yeah, and one of the things I always wanted to say is like, man, with all the different ways that that story could have gone based on the basement right. you know, plot element, I really wish there was a a version where you would get a randomized like set of events where it would be something different every time you watch it. Or at least like... Like Clue, where there was like three different versions of what, what could have happened. Event. Yeah, you know I, that'd be that probably would have been something really cool that he could have done with the Blu-ray release. Mm-hmm. You know, like a little choose your own adventure kind of. Yeah, yeah. I'm really surprised that that's not more of a thing these days. To be honest, like, well, I mean, it's just it just costs too much to to produce all those different scenes. I would assume. When I was uh, a wee lad, I remember finding a board game. Based on Isaac Asimov's iRobot, mm-hmm. that involved a VHS tape. Oh, really? And it was really interesting because I didn't really know how to play it. I just like watching the movie, and it made no sense because it wasn't actually a movie. No, it's a board game. It was video game sequences, not video game. It was video sequences that, based on your actions on the board game, you were supposed to fast forward to or rewind back. Yep. To play out the scenario. I remember games like those. There, yeah. I, a, f- a friend of mine, I think, had one called Atmosphere and Fear with a F-E-A-R. Ooh, clever. Yeah. Um, there was an episode of Community that revolved around an old board game like that that was uh, <laughs> like an old Western board game. And it was very racist, too. And they, they made <laughs> comment about that. Uh, it's a product of his time. It, dude, but that show was also so like so ahead of its time. Like... I, so many people that don't know about that show would would love it. Like, if you love Rick and Morty, you would love Community. Oh, like, yeah. That show, I mean, obviously, both Dan Harmon, but yep. uh, it's just so about the tropes and how, you know, these are the same things you see in every show, but we're going to explain the explain it to you better. Yeah. That was just and be one clever of those about it. lightning in a bottle type TV shows. I love that show and unfortunately didn't make it to its promised six seasons in a movie no i think we got five seasons right i think five is as far as we yeah, got and, and there was supposed to be a final season on yahoo i think that i think the fifth season that was, was the on fifth yahoo. one yeah, yeah. Maybe, the, maybe that was a sixth season but it was on yahoo and i did watch it on yahoo it just it was just you I, we, it, it's, it was a weird place to go watch a movie so or watch a tv show so yeah, definitely. yahoo tv and i don't think they even had anything else after that for their yahoo tv yeah that was a flop yeah but uh, it's 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 unfortunate because uh, yeah those last like three seasons were just so super short and and maybe even uh, you know they knew that every time every episode was probably their last so uh, it was just kind of throwing everything out there. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's uh, I that's pretty much everything I have for news. Did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about news wise? Uh, yeah, one more thing. Uh, the full trailer for the movie The Disaster Artist it did did has, come out this has week. finally hit. Yeah, and I urge anybody who's a fan of cinema, <sighs> especially cinema that's one of those so bad it's actually kind of good, to uh, check out The Room, 
and then watch the trailer for this thing. So I haven't, I haven't watched The Room, and I haven't actually seen the trailer yet. And everything I've read so far, people are like, you know what? This trailer looks so great. I just want to go back and watch The Room now and appreciate it in a yeah, different way. Definitely. Uh, it sounds like, you know, I think the people who have seen it early have are really enjoying it. Uh, and it's, it's phenomenal. I think there's, I mean, it might be a little presumptuous, but Oscar buzz for both franco brothers that would be amazing because <laughs> i mean and it's just so funny that this is a story well first of all it's based on a true story like this well most of what's depicted in the movie really did happen and the fact that it's a movie about the making of another movie <laughs> right that's universally known as a very very bad movie it's, yeah it's one of the worst movies of all time just on so many levels for mm-hmm. so many reasons but yet it keeps you coming back for more I mean, there's some movies that are so bad, I never, ever want to see them again. Like, I walked out of Dewey Cox, Walk Hard or whatever that... Right. Yeah, that, I, I walked out of that piece I of shit movie. St- I still haven't even seen it. I walked out of a, a date movie. Oh, yes, you should definitely walk out of a date yeah, movie. I mean, I mean, I didn't walk out, but I also waited until it was on DVD to watch. No, I, I went to, on a date to see date movie, Ooh. and it's. I, I'm pretty sure that was the reason for that relationship collapsing. <laughs> blame it on that um yeah so there's some movies that are just so bad they practically give you cancer this i I remember sorry but i remembered this there was this one movie that i went and watched it was with um uh what's the name of the kid that was in twilight um taylor abduction abduction yes (laughs) i went and watched that movie and i physically got ill watching that movie (laughs) like it was so horrible i was just like oh i feel like i need to vomit like this is just bad so bad and that's like probably the only time i ever felt like that watching a movie like i've never like something's never actually brought me to like i've watched bad movies and never brought me to the point that i was like ugh, i'm gonna throw up like you go into watching something like sharknado and you know that's on sci-fi channel you're like okay this is gonna be silly it's gonna be stupid i don't need to worry about it but this was a big release it had you know at the time a hot star it had a budget it had a budget you know and it's 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 just like oh i paid money to watch this actually i think at that time (laughs) i was doing movie reviews so i didn't actually have to pay to watch it but still it it made me physically ill i'm gonna have to go back and find that review then I felt like that with um, Boogeyman. Did you ever hear of that one? I I remember the the movie. I don't. I mean, I didn't. I didn't watch it. It but was so awful. Was it? Yeah. I mean, the the premise was the Boogeyman is real, and he travels. I think it was either through mirrors, or through like underneath your bed or closets. It was some kind of weird, stupid premise <laughs> like that. So basically, Monsters Inc. I mean, is isn't that the basis for like a good third of whole all horror movies now is that the boogeyman is real and it's it's this certain thing basically but like, once, isn't that the babadook and it follows and yeah. <laughs> you know all these other stupid movies yeah i mean there's just some characters that like don't age well and the trope just gets old but they just change the flavor of it a little bit yeah. i mean yeah if you go back far enough you still got things like the candy man same thing and yeah yeah no it's it was yeah, I don't think I've ever been... No, I have felt physically ill at a movie before. If you've ever watched Irreversible, Jesus, man, that is a hard movie to get through. That is a hard movie to get to. I was like, God damn, like, I feel bad for humanity after watching that. 
Oh, you know what made me feel bad for humanity after watching it uh, recently? What's that? Was the Belko experiment. Like, Oh, that sounds familiar. Which one's that? That was James Gunn's movie. Uh, I think he just wrote it. I don't think he directed it. But it had like it was a bunch of people that worked for this company, and then the walls and the windows all got started boarded oh, up. Oh yeah, and then all so it's kind of like a little bit of the purge or rattle, battle royale mixed yeah. in with office space. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I, I was sitting there watching this movie, and I'm expecting certain things, and at the end, I'm just like, okay, so this movie just tells me that people are assholes. I already knew that. I didn't need a movie to sit there for two hours to tell me that, you know, it just <laughs> lose your faith in humanity. Yeah. It's just, it was, it was just, I guess it was just not what I was expecting. And that really threw me. So I don't know. It was just bad. Yeah. It sucks when the movies like mismarket or maybe you just misinterpret it based on what you see of it. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, it just kind of disappoints you. One last movie I wanted to talk about since we were kind of on this topic about losing your faith in humanity. <laughs> there was this movie on Netflix I saw several years ago. It was called Sur- Service, but it was spelled kind of weird. It was S-E-B... No, S-E-R-B-I-S. Okay. It was meant to say service, but it was sort of an onomat- a, a phonetic way of saying the word service, like customer service. Right. And it was about a Filipino family that ran a like restaurant slash porno theater. Because you know those things go together. Because and when you watch the story, it makes sense. Like this is a family that inherited a theater from the patriarch of the family um, at a time when it was a legit theater. But now, in order to make ends meet and actually stay relevant, they resort to showing porn on it mm-hmm. because that's the only thing that makes money, apparently. And I guess service, or, you know, the way they spell it, service, basically means sexual favors in the theater. That's where the title comes from. However, the way this movie is shot, you can feel the oppressive heat wave that's being displayed on the screen. Yeah. I mean, you like, the, everybody looks sweaty and uncomfortable. Ugh. There's a scene where the bathroom overflows at the theater, and there's nothing but shitty water all over the floor. And the guy that has to clean it up is doing it in flip-flops. Oh, it is so unsettling. Oh, and I'm like, disgusting. holy crap, a movie that I didn't expect to is making me feel things. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of uncomfortable things, but I have to commend it for the fact that it conveyed emotion so well with just visual cues. Wow. Uh, so check it out. Yeah, you'll get right <laughs> on that. Okay. All right, let's let's go ahead and kick it off to uh, Stephen King's It. Speaking of unsettling. <laughs> Speaking of gray matter, or gray water. Gray water. Uh, uh, first, let's, let's talk about, I, I looked up some of the article about uh, the some of the, the box office records it broke. We got biggest opening in September, adjusted and unadjusted. The previous record holder was Hotel Transylvania 2, which made $48.5 million in its debut in 2015. Uh this one pulled in a, a estimated one twenty three million. This article is on IGN dot uh, com if you want to look it up yourself. On the quick aside, I think somebody said it made more on its opening day than Dark Tower did in its entire theatrical run. <laughs> well, you know, it wasn't in theaters that long, but that's I believe that. Uh, biggest opening fall weekend adjusted and adjusted. Gravity last set the record in 2013 with fifty five point eight million opening weekend, less than half of its debut weekend total uh biggest horror movie opening weekend the previous largest debut for a horror film was 2011's paranormal activity 3 which made 52.6 million in its opening weekend in 2011 
biggest opening weekend for a Stephen King adaptation. Unadjusted for inflation, 1408 was the previous record opening for a King adapted film. That 2015 seven or I'm sorry, that 2007 film made just 20.6 million in its opening weekend. Which one was that? Uh, 1408. Oh yeah, okay. with John Cusack. I love that. I actually enjoy that movie. I don't. I want to say I loved it. I enjoyed that movie. Uh, I I really dug it. And do you know the the, the kind of the trivia behind that movie Which or that story? 1408. I uh, I I know I read a lot about it back when it first came out but right now it all escapes me so what i remember is that apparently uh stephen king was writing a book on how to write certain type of stories and in that he would keep you keep he was using a story as an example as he went through like she's like so when you come across this you want you want character a to do certain thing and you know character b to do this other thing so for an example he would create a character and he would do it well Throughout the instructional book, he created the story of 1408, and then he made that into a real book. Okay, yeah, I, I don't remember hearing that, but that is kind of interesting. Yeah. And it's also interesting that Stephen King can be such a hit-or-miss kind of writer. Oh, yeah. But, he, but, he, but he's, the, he's the, the best example of, uh, what is it, Wayne Gretzky's, you, you miss every shot you don't take, right? I suppose so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he takes a lot of shots. He takes so a lot of shots. Statistically, <laughs> that's why he's a success. Yeah. And, it, uh, you know, it, it, it reminds me of the um, the uh, episode of Family Guy when they do the three Stephen King uh, short stories, stories, oh, stories yeah, but yeah. the ones that aren't, uh, you know, horror stories. So it's Stand By Me, Misery, and... Uh, Green Mile? Is no, it the Green Shawshank Mile? Redemption. Shawshank, yeah. yeah. So I think it's in the Misery one, he gets hit by the Stephen King character gets hit by a car and as he's flying through the air he's like hey I have an idea and he writes it down he's like hey I got a new book before he even hits the ground do you remember that that uh, well that was a reference to uh, Dreamcatcher but did that happen in the in the misery segment or was that just like a random joke from a different episode it might have been a random joke from a different but I thought that was in the misery episode is that maybe not, no i don't know I don't either remember, way yeah that the way that family guy jokes work like <laughs> south park says like you could cut and paste them from any episode and make no difference <laughs> fair enough uh so yeah, what, what was it about dreamcatcher uh well because uh in dreamcatcher that happens to one of the characters he walks in the middle of the street and gets hit by a car it's true well that is actually what inspired him to write the story he actually got hit by a car Oh, really? Yeah, Stephen he, King got hit by a car and he wrote Dreamcatcher. Yeah, he got hit by somebody driving a van or something and like broke a whole bunch of bones. And I think later on he found, he found the guy, bought the car that he, you know, he hit him with, and then took it somewhere and destroyed it, apparently, in order to work out some aggression. <laughs> but yeah, that, while he was down from that accident, that's when he wrote Dreamcatcher. So he put that whole sequence of events into the story. So let me ask you this, because this kind of ties in, but I've heard that Dreamcatcher kind of ties in with Pennywise and It. Yes. Like, I know in the movie of Dreamcatcher, there's the the monument that they go stand next to, or the statue, and it's a, like someone had graffitied onto the statue, Pennywise was here, or something like that. Pennywise lives. Oh, Pennywise lives. Yeah. Okay. But is in the book, is it different? Well, I don't know about the book for Dreamcatcher, um, but there is sort of a greater Stephen King expanded universe, and Pennywise, because of the nature of what his character really is, kind of ties into a lot of their stories. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, things like uh, Dreamcatcher, Tommyknockers, 
trying to think of the dark world um, a lot of these actually do tie in and Pennywise is sort of like an undercurrent type character he okay. could be seen as kind of like a Thanos character right yeah like he uh, what's it the the character that Matthew McConaughey played in Dark Tower is supposed to be a character that kind of yeah he plays Randall Flagg right uh, or at least he's the same character as Randall Flagg um, which if, Randall Flag is Randall is where Kevin Smith got his name for his clerk character Randall. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, cool. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it was like yeah, the ultimate like what would it be not narcissist, uh, nihilist. Nihilist, yes. <laughs> ultimate nihilist, yeah. And yeah, Randall Flag is supposed to be a similar Lovecraftian type character uh, because he's a creature of chaos and death and destruction. Fair enough. Uh, second biggest opening weekend for an R-rated film. It debuts weekend uh, debut weekend only trails Deadpool's one thirty two point four million opening last year. So Deadpool still holds that for the R-rated movie, uh, but only by nine eleven million because it was twenty three million. Oh, so so nine million. Uh, widest R-rated opening. Uh, while not a box office total record, its success was undoubtedly helped by the film film's wide availability. It released in the largest room, no, largest number of theaters for R-rated film, forty-one. Uh, I'm sorry, four thousand one hundred three domestically, surpassing Logan's record four thousand seventy-three theaters opening earlier this year. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah, I mean, I mean that definitely helps with getting the numbers up if you're going to have been more theaters than anything else. Yeah, and here in our small town during the opening uh, weekend, there was a little bit of a problem with one of the theaters losing power due to True. the storm we had. Yeah. So everybody had no choice but to go to the other theater. Oh. And, yeah, that one was pretty packed. That's I, where I saw it, and I was front row all the way to the far left. It sucked. Oh, wow. I went to see it. I saw it in the same theater. But I saw it on Monday, so I think everybody had already seen it by that point. Yeah, yeah. Now, so, what do you think uh, it owes this level of uh, sudden success to? Uh, I think if, you, if you're following a lot of movie news for this summer, uh, you'll see that this is probably the weakest summer that Hollywood has ever had. Or not ever had, but had in a very long time. And I just think that it's there hasn't really been anything out that really has excited anybody um, to the point that they want to go to the movies. Also, from my stint of working for six years at Blockbuster, when that was still a thing, um, people will, will go and watch a horror movie no matter what it's about. People will rent a horror movie no matter what it's about. Blockbuster had its own production company that made strictly all they did was make horror movies like straight to video horror movies and people would rent those things every weekend so if it has some kind of scary monster on the cover if it has a story that's supposed to scare you people will go and watch it because they're just trying to recapture that feeling they had as a child when they first watched a scary movie and we're like (gasps) you know kind of thing and they'll do it every time and i'll stick by this as long as i as long as i live until i find evidence to prove me otherwise uh but and then you have the kids who want to watch a horror movie because they think that's what adults do they just sit around watching horror movies all the time and then they get scared and then the cycle perpetuates itself again um i really i mean it's once again this is a a movie that we they already had once in what 87 
No, 90. 90. 90? Yeah. Okay. Because it's been 27 years since the release of the original. Because he comes back every 27 years. Comes, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, in 1990, the made-for-TV version came out. Um, a lot of people, I think a lot of people that are our age watched it then. A lot of people don't even realize that that was a made-for-TV movie and still think of it as being super scary but that's i think that's the whole clown thing like people there's a lot of people that just have a fear of clowns oh yeah that too and you know i I assume that's why stephen king made a character that was a look like a clown um we have the whole real life situation where you know people were going around just as clowns last year just to scare people for whatever reason and this year people were tying red balloons to sewer grates and people were tying red balloons to sewer grates not that we have to worry about that here in yuma no, arizona here. but there's the one sewer grate that we have in all of yuma <laughs> the one storm grate you know we don't have those here well just the same though i mean it's still unsettling to see a red <laughs> balloon somewhere suddenly that shouldn't be there fair enough like, whoa uh uh, plus, you know, American Horror Story a few seasons back did their whole circus uh, season, which had a lot of clowns and stuff like that. So I think it was just the right time. The, the whole nostalgia for the 90s, the the clowns, the, you know, it was just a perfect storm of everything. And people want, people want to go to the movies. They just need to find the right movie to go watch. And this, I think this was the culmination of all that. Yeah, movies ain't cheap. Uh, movies ain't cheap. Even if you have a movie pass. You know, for nine ninety five a month now. All right, so let's get into it. Then. Wait, wait. Unadjusted uh, for inflation, its opening weekend makes its it already the second highest total earning King adaptation ever, behind the Green Mile. While adjusted for inflation, it already ranks at as the seventh highest earning King film. Wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, let's get into the movie. Uh, there's going to be spoilers, so if you don't want to hear them, you can pause it right now, go watch the movie, and then come back. If you already watch it, awesome. We're going ahead. Andy Scamudi, Scamedi, Sketty? I don't know how to say it. Muschetti? Muschetti. He is the director of the movie. Um, Other things that he's done, Mama, Shadows of the Colossus. Uh, apparently he's going to be doing lock and key. Um, yeah. What was the shadows of the Colossus? Thing? I'm sorry. That's announced. That is not a thing yet. He is going to be doing shadow of the Colossus shadow of the Colossus. Yes. I am both excited and extremely is, nervous. Is that the video game? I hope so. Oh, so they're making a movie adaptation of the video game. That a man, would, if done right, that's going to be a, let's see. The description says a, amazing movie, a man named wander attempts yep, to bring it. a maiden who was sacrificed back to life by defeating a series of col- colossal stone creatures so that a magical being named Dorman will revive her. Oh, please don't screw this up. That's my favorite video game. Really? That game is awesome. You see a little bit of it in, uh, what was that, Adam Sandler movie that's like post 9-11? Rain Over Me? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, he plays that game a lot. uh, Because he wants to bring his wife back? Well, because it's a Sony movie, so it's like they're just plugging it. But it's also supposed to be symbolic that it's one man fighting like these giant insurmountable obstacles, Mm. which is what the game is kind of about. Okay. But yeah, it's a beautiful game. If you've never seen it or played it, it's one of those that are like... Dude, I think video games are like art or something because it looks great. It plays awesome. It's got a really sad moving storyline. And there's just something about you fighting these giant monsters. Like it's it's like 
a more serious Legend of Zelda. <laughs> Fair enough. I, 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 something that uh, I think a lot of people would be interested in if they haven't already played it. I, I know I'm interested. Oh, I hope they don't screw it up. I have a bad feeling about it. <laughs> I want to be hopeful because I, mean, I love that game. Video game movies ha- don't have a really good track record. so They, they don't. Uh, I'm already thinking, man, they're going to change the source material. and it's gonna be like... <laughs> Well, uh, how do you feel about how Andy did for it? Well... I think he did a good job adapting the material. That being said, though, I'll just say it up front. Um, this movie didn't do a lot for me. Really? It wasn't bad. Uh, I thought it was very, very very well shot. The cinematography was good. Special effects were decent. Uh, there were a few things that could have been done a little better or maybe even better if just omitted. Because it was an R-rated movie, but you could have easily have done this PG-13 with just very simple alterations yeah but why why do i mean you would t- you would have to lose the arm missing the arm ripping off scene a lot of because the it wasn't scenes. really necessary and what i'm saying is the r i don't think the r was really used it wasn't to its utilized potential. yeah okay it, it was there and they did it for a couple of things but i mean it was some things were overdone example um and i saw this comparison someone else already did on youtube the scene where beverly's looking into the sink uh-huh. She gets splattered with blood. Right. In the original, the sink just kind of overflows a little bit. And yeah, it spurts in her face, but it doesn't cover the whole bathroom, like comically ridiculous amounts of like fake blood, you know? And then, <laughs> it just, like, that was just so unnecessary. Like, it, I think in a situation like that, less would have been more. So, I see, okay, in that scene specifically, I didn't find it comical. Uh, I thought it. It, it was appropriate because it makes it more of when her dad comes in the room and he doesn't see it, that it's like, well, how could you not? It's everywhere, like, kind of thing. But they did exactly the same scene in the original. And I, I'm not going to say the original was better. The, the original certainly had its problems, too. However, I think that because they were working with the restraints of being a made-for-TV movie on right. ABC, no less. On ABC, no less. They, they were able to really get a lot more out of it because they couldn't rely on gore. And, right and like extreme use of blood well there was a lot of blood in it but it was much more subdued it was much more subtle in many ways this one was just kind of like and then the sequence immediately after where all the kids help clean it up it's such an upbeat song that feels so out of place yeah that well okay i'll say that a lot of this movie the music was very much out of place for me there were like, some tonal problems yes it, it, it it's like they were setting up for a different movie like the the song and and trust me i'm one of these people that i don't care about music all that much except for when it seems out of place like when you notice it yeah exactly when you notice it so uh me noticing that made me like well this is kind of kind of taking me out of the movie kind of thing and and yeah you're exactly right um i think uh one of the problem i well i'd say i did enjoy the movie um, I think it's getting a lot of hate for no reason, like, or not for the right reasons, I guess is a better way to put it. Uh, I'm not saying that you're hating it. I'm just saying that, uh, and I'm definitely not. Yeah, you're right. But there's uh, a, it just seems like there's a lot of people that are, that are going online, going online. And I mean, obviously that's where I, I can see what people are saying about the movie, but they're saying, you know, it's not scary. It's not, it, you know, it, it's not, didn't do anything for me. You know, it didn't, it didn't make it, uh, it didn't. It didn't make me feel uneasy or anything like that. So 
I, I don't know if it's supposed to. Like, I don't think that's the movie that they were trying to make at this point. Like, yes, they were making a horror movie, but I think they were making more of a psychological movie than they were a straight-up monster movie. Well, yeah, at its core, it seems to be a movie that's focused on the cycle of abuse and uh, bullying. Yes, and that's another thing that really took me out of the movie a lot. Um and I I know that when he originally wrote this, it was probably supposed to be somewhere in the 60s that the kids grew up. It was the late 50s. Late 50s. Okay. Yeah. So, because, well, the, okay, I know the movie, the the TV movie came out in the 19, and it came out in 1990, but it would probably took place in 1985. Something like that, yeah. So, 19, 27 years would have been 68. 60 no 58 58 58 for yeah. 27 years okay there you go. so uh man way to make me math there 1958 you know Amer- middle america i can understand them not caring about you know kids being bullied and and stuff like that like but this is supposed to be 1990 and as an old couple drive past this kid who's getting stabbed with a uh, a switchblade they do nothing? No, that sounds about accurate to me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just, it seemed like everybody turning a blind eye to everything. Like the adults, the, especially the adults. That's one thing I hate about uh, horror movies where it focuses on the kids. It always makes the adults to be complete idiots and like not notice things and not pay attention to the kids and stuff. Which... Well, that's in the original though. Fair enough. Yeah. That's fine. I'm just saying. I and like I said. I I, I don't remember the original uh, made for TV movie. I haven't watched it since I was a kid. Uh, I know you said you said you recently watched it, with, probably within the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just felt like the very beginning of the movie, the mom is in the house. She's playing the piano, and she doesn't realize that Georgie walks out of the house into the middle of a monsoon, essentially. You know, to <laughs> yeah. play. You know, in his bright yellow slicker and does nothing and then hey uh, this old lady's like oh i better roll up my my blinds outside which you have blinds outside for whatever reason and oh hey there's a kid with you know halfway into a a grade over there ah he'll take care of that whatever that is and then and then there's just a pool of blood there you know like (laughs) people will be boys yeah but it's just like i I don't know it just it a lot of things were too convenient for me uh, yeah, I could see that, but that is a product of the story itself. So I wouldn't say that's a, a movie problem. That that was already in there from the source material. But see, when we make so many d- changes for other movies, where they they stray away from the source material, you can make changes to make the story better. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, and that would be something that they'd have to take into consideration. So, uh, you know, dock points for. Not making that part of it better. <laughs> However, I want to say that the 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 young actor who plays Georgie, I thought was probably the best actor of all the kids. Like I thought his performance and the range that he has to do because you know he plays the he plays the straight Georgie and then he t- plays the Georgie that's uh, actually Pennywise and then he plays the Georgie that's uh, you know uh, like messing with um, Bills. His, his older brother's name Bill, right? Yeah. Yeah, Bill's mind in the basement. Like, he does a really good job. And to honest, honestly, if in the next five years they want to do 
Damian Wayne in a Batman movie, I think he should play Damian Wayne. Really? Yes. Wow. So I'm going to put that out there right now for that kid. Georgie for Wayne. <laughs> Damian Wayne. <laughs> for Damian Wayne. Uh, who, who did you like out of the kids? Out of the kids, uh, I really liked um, Wolf Finhard. Well, we already know him from yeah. Stranger Things, and this is a show we talk about on this this podcast. And he was uh, mainly because Richie was probably my favorite character from the original. Um, now, in the original, who played the young Richie? Seth Green. Seth Green. Yeah. So, what would you think of Seth Green coming back to play the older version? I was actually thinking about that. I was like, hey, wait, wouldn't it be cool if they got like the original actors that played the kids, except for the one that's dead now? Rest in peace. Is that Jonathan Brandis? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, poor Jonathan Brandis. Um, but yeah, like, wouldn't it be cool? But they don't match now. Like, this Beverly that we have now is like a blue-eyed redhead, and the original, I believe, was Emily Perkins. Right, who went on to play movies like Ginger Snaps. Ginger Snaps, and I think she had a cameo in Juno. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so she's not really, and I mean, just looks completely nothing like Beverly now. Right. Well, the Beverly um, that we saw in this movie. Yeah, and I don't think I recognize any of the other actors at this point or that were child actors at the time. If they've moved on to continue acting or doing something else. But yeah, that's that's one of the first things I thought is like, wait a minute, they should bring back the old kid this, or the original kids to play the adult versions of their younger selves and that'd be so meta. And that cool, would be but, very meta, yeah. But yeah, that doesn't really... And so the one only my, one that you could do is, is Seth Green at this point. Basically. <laughs> but even that wouldn't really match because Seth Green's a redhead and uh, this Richie is Is not, a brunette, yeah. yeah. So... But completely different facial features and everything. He's, he's, been a, he's been a brunette before. He can dye his hair. Has he? And what? I don't remember. He didn't have red hair in uh, 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 Can't Hardly Wait, did he? I don't remember. That's been so long. I think he had black hair. Was it? Uh, I think. I think it was dyed black. Oh, I remember that one surfer movie where he had long hair, and that was pretty airborne, weird looking. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay, but I just, I just thought it was interesting that it was, it was Seth Green, um, and he would be about the right age to play. Maybe he'll play, he'll play, maybe he'll play Bill because that ki- that ki- kid had red hair. Yeah, yeah. So, um, did did you have some stunt casting you wanted you would like to do for older versions? Well, yeah. <laughs> I saw I we I put it up on the on the Facebook. Uh, who would you like to see pe- uh, cast as the adult losers? And you definitely put down for Beverly you'd like to see. Well, only because she looks so much like young Beverly, I think Amy Adams would be like a shoo-in. And now, you know, I have to give you that. When I was watching the movie, this young actress who plays Beverly, uh, I'll, let me find her name real quick. Um, she definitely looks like a young version of Amy Adams, Sophia Lillis. And, I mean, if they went that way, I mean, right now, from what the reports say is that the director is in talks with Jessica Chastain to play the older version of her, which is also okay. Um, but Amy Adams would be uh, a great choice as well. Yeah, I think she'd be a shoe in I mean, if anything, they should work together sometime in the future as mother-daughter or something. Because they look that similar. <laughs> that wouldn't be a bad idea. Uh, for Richie, I would like to see... Uh, I forget his name. I think it's Zach something. But the guy that played Gabe in The Office... Oh wow, yeah. For Richie though, yeah, I could see him playing Stan. Stan. It was Stan, right? The curly-haired Jew, Jewish kid. 
Was it? Not I his believe name? that was Stan. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So who was the hypochondriac? Eddie. Eddie. Eddie yes, was the hypochondriac. Yes, yes. That'd be kind of cool because uh, uh, Zach, the the actor you're talking about, you know, being super tall that he is, like, would be the opposite of what Eddie being the shortest of. Like, he got his growth spurt later than everybody else. Yeah, yeah. And plus, he has like these natural tics and mannerisms. That I, don't, kinda... I don't think he's forty. I think he's closer to late twenties. No, he's in this. He's got to be in his late thirties. You think so? Oh yeah, totally. Okay, fair enough. We'll, we'll no, I've at... seen him in the office and the league and all kinds of stuff. Like, no, he's 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 in he's in Silicon Valley right now. Yeah, he's not a spring chicken. <laughs> fair enough. Um, anybody else? Yes, uh, for Ben, the chubby kid, I would nominate Chris Pratt. That would be an interesting turnabout, mainly because. It would kind of echo the real life Chris Pratt going from the schlubby dude to like you know <laughs> Star Lord. Yeah, yeah. And you know Ben is supposed to be real successful and handsome in his adult life. You know, as a way of now, somehow in the in the original that was that was John Ritter's character. That was John Ritter. Yes, and so he played an architect. Yeah. Um, any of the original adult actors from the first one would you like to see come back? Oh, Obviously geez. not John Ritter, unfortunately. He no, passed away. Yeah, not John Ritter, R.I.P. <laughs> uh, who else would I like to see? Well, Annette O'Toole would be kind of cool to have back. Was she the adult Beverly? She was the adult Beverly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, I know the, 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 the Bill character. That was the same actor that was in the Waltons, right? He played John Boy? I don't remember who he played. Okay. I remember seeing him in one other thing. Um, where he played some more of a bad guy role, and I was like, "Oh, that's the dude from the that that was Bill." I don't <laughs> like him in this, so I'm gonna turn it off now. Okay, <laughs> I can't remember what it was though, but it was something where he was like a bad guy. Um, is uh, getting to Pennywise. What did you think of Bill Skarsgård? I really liked him actually. Yeah, as one of the the pluses I gave to this movie is he did his own thing. He wasn't doing a Tim Curry impression. Which I really appreciated, and I liked how he's more—I uh, want to say, like unsettling. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the original unsettling—that's a good word, yeah. Yeah, the original Pennywise, Tim Curry was—he was very antagonistic and had a lot of personality. Whereas this Pennywise felt like a predator stalking prey. Hmm. Okay. Especially when he's talking to like uh, Georgie. So I also think that it was interesting that he got like. So he gets to have a lot. Obviously, he, that he gets to benefit from a bigger budget. So he gets to have things like the CGI teeth and mouth and you know things like that. Uh, I I assume that in the made for TV version they had um, prosthetics made for stuff like that, but they probably had to rely more on Tim Curry's acting ability to portray creepiness. Oh yeah. I mean, and if, yeah, they do a lot more basic like TV tricks, like Mm -hmm. just editing to go from like normal face to, you know, his big teeth, red eye face. I mean that, you know, all he does is look away, look back and he's that monster face. Uh, for some of the dodgier parts, they had to resort to things like claymation, which looks really dated now. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, yeah, you know, they did the best with what they could, and you can tell that they were using Tim Curry's natural expressiveness to their full potential in that one. Uh, in this one, you don't have to rely on it as much, but even so, uh, Bill Skarsgård really just puts across a whole different Pennywise that, except for one scene where it's a kind of a ridiculous dancing like moment, right? Everything else that he does, I really like. Huh? His, especially his contortionist scenes. Yes. Where he doesn't even seem like he's human. Though those are like, whoa, yeah, that's that's a good Pennywise right there. <laughs> so, what did you think of the their their decision for his outfit? I didn't mind it. Um, I liked it because if I I don't know, I just feel like it worked for it. Um, it had a more of a, like, for lack of a better term, Victorian feel to it. Mm. Um, whereas Pennywise had a much more specific Bozo the Clown look. It did. Bright yellow. Yeah, and Tim blue. Curry's. Yeah. This looks more like the kind of clown you'd see in an old painting. The old vaudeville show. Yeah. And stuff like that. Yeah. It was like the really frilly Which stuff. Goes along with the story that they presented us in this movie, where you know you see or they they talk about the steelworks um, explosion that killed a bunch of people with you know yeah, during the, an Easter egg. Easter egg hunt. Steel explosion. Uh, and yeah, you know, and you see, I mean, that's the furthest back that they put Pennywise being present. And I think they made a mention that um, that there was legend that the land was cursed or something like that. I don't know if they made a mention to, like, Native Americans in the area saying the land was cursed. Well, or... all he, he just said, someone just says their dad says that, I, I, is what uh, I remember yeah. from the movie. Just, or my dad says this, this land is cursed. That's it. Yeah, that's what it was. Kind it's... of a throwaway line. Yeah. And that's actually, well, uh, speaking of which, that takes me back to one of the things I didn't like about the story is how they kind of wrote Mike out of it. Oh, okay. So he's, he's in it very little, and he doesn't have as much to do. Um, and they kind of made up that whole subplot of him working at like his grandfather's, like, uh, was it butcher shop? Well, or it's a it's slaughterhouse. slaughterhouse yeah. yeah. Um, in the original story, Mike is actually the one that's really interested in the history of the town, as and, opposed to Ben. As opposed to Ben, yeah. Like Ben was just kind of like the schlubby kid that you know was kind of an outsider and gawky until he met the Losers Club. So is this in the original story or in the original movie? Original story and movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was always uh, Mike. Mike, mm, interesting. Um, I, w- I wonder why they would change up that part of the story then. That's a very good question. I think maybe it was to kind of give him more personality because on his own as a kid, he didn't really do much. He was just Ben or Mike? Yeah, Ben. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they, they. I mean, I don't know if it, in the story if they if they have him as the new kid in town, but they definitely. Yeah, no, I don't remember that part of it at all. I think he was always there. None of them were new. If anybody was new, it would have been Mike, and that's why he was so interested in the town history because that was his way. Since he didn't really relate to anyone, and he was like the only black kid in town, so of course there was a lot of racism mm-hmm. in the original story. Um, that was just kind of how he coped with it. He just like learned as much as he could about the town, his environment. Like he took interest in that. Well, now they have it so that his pa- actual parents died in a fire in Derry. Yeah, and uh, it was that supposed that wasn't supposed to be connected to the black spot burning, right? No, because he wouldn't be old enough. To the what burning? The 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 last the last big thing that happened in Derry that that's attributed to Pennywise through Ben's research. Is the black spot burned down? It's, it's supposed to be a bar or something like that. Some, oh. some kind of club. 
No, because uh, that would have been twenty-seven years ago. That would have been yeah. Mike that would have been too far old. past. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, that that's one of my bigger problems with this movie is that the mythology of Pennywise is not hashed out enough for me. Why is it that Ben knows that Derry has six times more murders and, or I'm sorry, deaths and missing people than any other place in the country like per capita, per capita. And yet people just kind of turn a blind eye to all of it. Um, the cops have a curfew. It says 7 PM, but like, is anybody doing like to me, I felt like there's supposed to be a part of the story where they're like, yeah, we know what's going on, but we turn a blind eye because it's our sacrifice to Pennywise so that we have a prosperous harvest or something, you know? But we never got to that point in the story. Yeah, like, I, I know exactly what you mean, where there could be some kind of logic where it's better to just kind of turn a blind eye to it and just let him feast whenever he comes out. Otherwise, he'll wreck even more damage or go after even more people. Yeah. That was that, like an uneasy truce between the town right, and him. exactly. Yeah, that would make a lot more sense. Um, I'm not sure. I, I think... It's explained somewhat in the book, and they talk about it a little bit in the um, in the movie. Uh, but basically, in the original movie, the logic I believe what they're going for is that Pennywise is most effective against children. Um, but once you start getting older, you're not as easy to scare, or at least it, it changes something. Because Pennywise, the way that he functions, he has to scare his prey before he eats it. Right, and, and makes it taste better. That's obviously yeah, that is depicted quite well in the movie. So I think that some somehow something about the way that Pennywise works, he willingly makes the adults like be immune to him, or like there's something happens where he no longer has an effect on older people. He just like. But the, in turn, they also can't see or do anything about what he's doing. It's it's sort of like a. I want to say it creates some kind of dampening field, um, because they do describe that in the books. That in in the original story, after Pennywise dies, it's almost like a cloud was lifted over the town. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's definitely some some kind of malevolent presence that he has, even when he's hibernating, that causes the town to just kind of be indifferent and. Um, you know, not really care or turn a blind eye or not, you know, have any sympathy towards what is really going on. But to that point, I want to say that in the real world, we have a place like Washington, D.C., which, if I'm not mistaken, based on stats I've read in the past, has the highest murder rate per capita of any other place in the U.S. That was Detroit. Is it Detroit? I don't know. Well, it's one of those two. Right. So we have that in real life. Yeah, but there are people actively trying to stop them. I mean, there are cops. There are you know there are things that are that, that are happening to try and quelch that. But in so this, maybe we could say that in the Pennywise universe, I was going to say the Pennyverse, <laughs> uh, which eh, which might work. Pennyverse. Um, maybe their regeneration has that. They're just never been successful. Maybe, but uh, we don't know that because we haven't been shown or told. We have. That. Yeah, exactly. Um, one of the things that you brought up, the fact that, you know, only the kids can see it because they, they're the ones that, that fear him the most or whatever, uh, was which one of the things I think is kind of meta about the story because I feel like adults who watch this are, are the ones that are saying uh, it's not a scary movie. It's more comical than anything else. And I think if you're a kid and you watch this, you would be terrified. Uh, so 
I think it's the same thing where you, as an adult, you have real scares like, hey, where is my next, you know, bill going to be? How is my next bill going to be paid? Are they going to take away my car? Yeah, uh, Deborah missed a period. Yeah, yeah, those kind of things. You don't really <laughs> worry about uh, a clown coming to take you in the middle of the night kind of thing. No, yeah, because you know that you can fight back and punch that clown. Right. Know? So I also thought that a big part of the and maybe not a big part, but a big part of Beverly's story is her becoming a woman because she has her period. Tactfully said, yes. Yes. Um, it made me think, you know, is that going to have, is that going to be, is his effect on her going to be lessened? And to for the most part, she is the one that, uh, you know, starts to figure things out a little bit better. She's the one that starts to get them together as a group to be like, hey, if we stand against him, you know, that's when he's the weakest and kind of thing like that. It, she's the one who figures out that the, you know, the adults don't see, didn't see, her father didn't see the blood in the in the bathroom uh, kind of thing. So it made me think, like, also, if they were able to figure out that certain things weren't real, like uh, the, the missing poster with Richie's face on it, Ben gets clawed by Pennywise. You see the giant gash in his side, right? Yeah. Is that real, though? Because he's running around after that point, and he doesn't really seem to be favoring it. Maybe that's just a mistake on the actor's part, but is it real? No, yeah, yeah. It's it's not like a nightmare on Elm Street where you dream it, and then sometimes the wounds he gives you in the dream crosses over to the real world. Like mm-hmm. He's a real physical threat. Right. Uh, the thing is that he doesn't normally lash out the way he did uh, until the very last minute when he's ready to eat you because it's the the fear of the physical harm that he relishes more than the actual physical harm. That slash and whatever, that was him now acting in self-defense because they were starting to fight back. You know, that was when, like you said, Beverly was the one that started to figure it out. She, like, straight up impaled him in the face. Mm-hmm. And Pennywise was like, oh, this is not going according to plan. Like, peace out. I mean, even to the point where she's like, I'm not afraid of you. It stops him from eating her. Like, he's like, (gasps) he like breathes breathes her in and is like, yeah, you're not, but you will be. And like puts her in some kind of stasis. Yeah, he shows her the dead lights, which is a whole other thing. We can get into that (laughs) later. So do you think that in the next movie there's going to be a lot more explained to us? Because as kids, like... the way I see these two movies playing out, as the kids, they don't really care about the explanation of a lot of things because they're kids. They just they just react. As adults, you might get you might become more enthralled with why things are happening. Now, I know in the story itself, they kind of all start to forget stuff, right? Yes. So, do you think that's? I mean, at the end of this movie, they all cut themselves in the in, on their hands, you know, doing kind of a blood ritual, blood brother thing. Uh, to to that's supposed to signify that they're a group and that they remember this thing, but is that going to be a big part of the next movie where they all yes. forget? Yes, uh, a lot of them, and this happened also in the original movie when they start getting the call back from Mike, who's the only one that stayed back uh, in Derry. Um, most of them don't really remember right away, like. Oh hey, this it's been a while, man. Like, what have you been up to? And he's like, "Hey, it's back." And they're like, "What are you talking about? Mm. What do you mean it's back? Like, 
you know. Um, and then one of them, I think it was Stan, is like he has like a total mental breakdown. Really? Once he like remembers, yeah. Um, well, he did seem like he was affected the most when, yeah, when they were going was... out, especially since he got sucked on the face of, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard one to come back from after a while. But, uh, no, yeah, yeah, they definitely start forgetting. And that's that's part of the defense mechanism that it has, where, or Pennywise, where, you know, if he can't scare you and eat you, then he'll just make you forget about him. Like, that's that's the extent of his powers. He has a lot of control over, uh, you know, the people around in the town. So, you know, that's sort of a self-preservation thing for him. So it, it's a testament to, you know, their promise that they made and, yeah, their resolve to finally put an end to it that they were able to remember, come back, and take care of it. Uh, one of the things that, another thing that I had a problem with is that there was no, it almost seemed like there was no limitation to Pennywise's powers. Like, you know, when you're, when, when you're watching Freddy Krueger, most of the time you, you only have to worry about when you fall asleep, you know? Like, that's the thing. Uh, when you, when you're in a, Friday the 13th movie, you have to worry about the nighttime coming. Pennywise attacks you during the day, attacks you during the night, attacks you when you're alone, attacks you when you're around other people. Uh, there's no real limitation. I mean, obviously, his thing is he wants to get you as afraid as you possibly can be. So he's picking and picking and picking. Like, at the point when they're in the garage and they're watching, or they're going through the slides, you know, he turns it into a motion picture kind of thing and attacks them through the through the projector like it it really seemed like there was no real uh, limit i guess is the best way to put it i could see that now my understanding to how it works is that there's almost no limit to how much you can mess with your mind but there are physical limitations to it even though he is powerful and he can like metamorph into you know monsters basically and you know shapeshift his hands so they turn into claws and get these giant teeth popping out there are physical limitations to the forms he can take um, he can be injured as you could tell from you know what we saw you see and that was another thing like it didn't matter like they grabbed whatever was nearby like i was expecting like oh maybe only iron would work on him or only uh, blessed items you know kind of thing they did do sort of a reference to the original story so the original story uh, one of the monsters that it turns into is a werewolf. Um, Richie was particularly scared of the werewolf. Um, and they come to the conclusion that silver could hurt it because if it could turn into a werewolf, the werewolf is, you know, hurt it's, by silver. Right. So we should use silver. Now, in reality, it wasn't the silver that had any special properties. It was their Their belief in the silver. Conviction, yes, right. that it would hurt him. The same reason why, in this one part that I do remember from the original, is the sprayer, yeah, the inhaler the, being battery acid. Yeah, yeah. Some Somebody made the offhand remark, like, oh, man, this stuff tastes like battery acid. And when in reality, it was literally just water with some kind of flavoring. Right, because he was he, he his mother was doing a whole uh, Munchausen by proxy thing on him. Yeah, so, like, basically always convincing him he was sick to the point where he believed it. Uh, so when Richie, I think it was Richie that made the comment like, oh, this tastes like battery acid. Uh, he sense. goes, yeah, um, Eddie goes up to it with the inhaler and says, you know, taste battery acid. You know, because he at that moment believed it, 
it actually acted like a corrosive substance on its face. So what we get a little bit of that when um, Mike, uh, you know, establishing earlier that he works at a slaughterhouse, he uses that bolt gun mm-hmm. uh, to put down the sheep. He takes that as the weapon of choice this time around rather than, um, you know, a slingshot and some silver, like, nuggets. Right. Um, and then at one point, Mike's like, oh, it's not loaded. And Bill doesn't, you know, listen to him. He still puts it on the head of uh, Pennywise. Oh, that makes it. complete sense. Okay, so that was a little weird. I was like, why did that work when it didn't, it, you know... They specifically showed us everyone every time that one CO two CO two cartridge would only do one shot, right. which I thought was weird because I remember using paint guns when I was younger. You know, you use a CO two cartridge and you can use a cartridge for a lot longer than just one shot. Yeah, but uh, you know, they they made a point to tell you that it only does one shot. Right. Yeah. So so when he does it, he believes that it's going to work. So mm-hmm. thus, it works. Yep. So there's a little bit of an Easter egg to it, yeah. Another Easter egg, now that we mentioned silver, is that you see that uh, the bike that Bill rides around on? It's called silver. It says silver on it. And it's a real old school looking bike as opposed to everyone else who has more like BMX looking bikes. So was that a a reference to Silver Bullet? It was a reference to uh, Silver... the Lone Ranger's horse. Okay, see, it was either that or the other thing because I know there's a there's that story there, the movie I think it's a Stephen King movie called Silver, Silver Bullet. Bullet. Yeah, yeah. with uh, who was it? Sean Astin? No, not Sean Astin. Uh, who was that kid? But he's in a wheelchair and he goes up against a werewolf and yeah. he his, his it's like their neighbor. His wheelchair like is something to do with Silver Silver Bullet or something like that too. Yeah, no. the The reference to that is that it's it's a reference to the Lone Ranger's horse, mm-hmm. um, because in the original story, which takes place in the late fifties, um, when they're kids, Bill calls his bike uh, Silver because it's because it, of the, Lone Ranger would have been popular right yeah, at the time, and he every time he'd ride off, he'd like to say "Hi, Hill Silver away." <laughs> so there's a little bit of reference. So it's just a reference to that. I mean, in the late eighties or mid eighties, that reference would be lost on people but the bike is still called silver for whatever reason maybe it was a bike passed down to him from his father it would have to i mean it was kind of an old looking bike (laughs) uh i also thought it was weird that his mother's face in the projector was the one that pennywise took over and then we didn't really get to see a good shot of his mother when she was in the uh on the in the house playing the piano when georgie gets taken Yeah, in that early scene she's in the background and it's blurry yeah yeah and then uh, obviously later on when his dad yells at him for taking stuff out of his room, we don't see the mother around either. So do you think there's anything to that? Uh, basically just to say that the parents are like not a presence for the children mm. in their lives. And when they are, it's usually bad. Okay. Like in Beverly's case or in the bully. Yeah. The Beverly's case, the bully's parents, the Eddie's mother, yeah. Uh, even Stanley's father, who's the rabbi, you know, oh, yeah, kind you know, of... kind of just being a dick. And then uh, Mike's grandfather, who's his his guardian because his parents are dead. Uh, and the pharmacy owner. The pharmacy the pharmacist. Ooh, yeah, he was being really creepy. Who to that was group. that guy too? Because he looked really familiar. He did look familiar. He to me he kind of looked like John Denver, but I know it's not John Denver. <laughs> I was gonna say John Denver by way of uh, of. Uh, the dude that was on Thirty Rock, what's his name? McBrayer. Oh yeah, Jack a little McBrayer. bit. Jack. Yeah, uh, I don't know what his actual name is. I think that's his name, Jack. Jack McBrayer. McBrayer? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was going to call him Fix It Felix. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, okay. Is there anything else? Doing a little bit of wrap up. What's uh, you know? What's some other things you want to talk about with this movie? Uh, only that. I mean, it was. I like we said earlier. I don't feel it was a bad movie. It just. I feel like it didn't do anything for me. Maybe because I'm grown up now. Mm-hmm. Whereas I remember the older one more fondly as a kid. Maybe because I watched it as a kid. Right. And that's when it had its deepest impact on me. I mean, I, I, I'm really deeply, you know, steeped in nostalgia right now. Mm-hmm. And rewatching some things, I, they don't hold up. <laughs> things that I remember loving. I mean, I still watch Ghostbusters almost daily thanks to my daughter who is now into it as well. Oh, good. But good then I watch other things. Like I rewatched Karate Kid because it was on TV the other day. And I'm like, that is the nope, don't, worst nope, looking. Don't say it. I rewatch Karate Kid at least once a year, and that movie still holds up. It's, I, it's no, not good it choreographed. It's not good fighting, but it's still a great movie. It's a great story. Yes. It just the the visuals don't hold up for me. <laughs> Fair that, that fighting stance, no. Well, no. no yeah, exactly. Ralph Macho, no. No, no, none at all. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, I would say this movie, if anything... Like I said, I enjoyed it, but if anything, it makes me excited for chapter two, whatever they end up doing with the parent or the adults, the adult versions. Do you think it will go into a chapter three? Oh God, I hope not. So, go- uh, unless no, no, I'm gonna stop myself right there. No, it only has to be them as kids and them as adults. Um, if they really want to wow me, show me some more backstory on Pennywise. But well, see, that's what I think. Make it cool. I don't. I don't think they're gonna be like grandparents age in chapter three i think what chapter two would be would be like them as adults and then flashbacks to them as kids so it's a mixture of the two plus you know a lot of pennywise backstory and then chapter three is just them as adults dealing with pennywise now granted there is enough material in the book to warrant that kind of ridiculous like over stretching of material or in a movie thing right i don't think it needs to be a, a, a trilogy though it i mean if the money's there wasn't the original made for tv movie a three-night event though it was a two-parter it was a two-parter okay yeah. never mind then it was youngins and then it was kids i think the youngins and then adults um oh yeah it just sounds like redundant <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah the no the i think the original after all the if you take out the commercial breaks and everything it's only like three hours and 40 minutes but it feels like closer to four to you know four to four and a half hours mm. when it's fully like stretched out right um i really hope if they're gonna make if they're gonna make it rated r make full use of that r and not just with gratuitous use of uh you gore. know gore and effects actually make it something that gets under your skin you know um i'm trying to think of what the best example of something super creepy is uh have you ever seen the movie session nine I've never actually watched it. I know of it. Okay. It's a super creepy movie. It has virtually no violence and no gore. And all the payoff is in like the last few minutes where everything comes together and you figure out what finally happened. Mm. But it does such a good job with atmosphere. Give the, give the next movie some genuinely creepy atmosphere. You know, that's what I loved about the, the, uh, the ring that uh, Verbinski did. Mm-hmm. And that's why I hated the sequel. Because mm. the sequel took all that out and just... Try to just have better effects, which no, like it, the original movie had a really good look to it that made you feel that kind of oppressive Seattle atmosphere, and that's what it needs. All right, there you go. There's our uh, kind of quick review because I think we could really talk about this for a lot longer if we wanted to. Oh yeah, 
There's a lot of stuff that we didn't go over. Yeah, this will be a trilogy. But, uh, yeah, there's our quick review of it. If you have a different opinion on that or any of the stories we talked about today, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, get a hold of me on Twitter as at agent underscore of the underscore bat. John's also on Twitter as... I'm at Magic Bollocks. The rest of Geek Elite Radio is at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter, at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram, and at Facebook.com backslash Geek Elite Radio on Facebook, where we do most of our conversation. Check out our website, geekeliteradio.com, for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. But until next time, this is the Geeks Watch on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying, always remember to geek, geek out. out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.